Hey, everybody, welcome to Social Beauty Makers, the podcast, where every Sunday and Wednesday, we'll bring you fast-paced, powerful 15-minute episodes meant to inform, educate, and inspire around a variety of topics, including trends in all things tech for the professional salon industry. I'm Gordon Miller, your podcast host. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get started. So today, I'm going to talk about something I've covered briefly in the past. I said I was going to swing back around to it, uh, the topic being deregulation of the professional salon industry. And um, over time, you know, the industry has regularly rallied in a really significant way when there's been threats of deregulation. And that's come from all parts of the industry. Um, regulation, period, uh, began in the industry many, many years ago, back in the 1920 or so, um, by a group of salon owners. And over time, it has grown, evolved, um, changed significantly, being driven first and foremost, almost always by hairdressers, by salon owners, by professionals in the industry um, who um, we're looking to um, improve from their own perspective, you know, how the industry operated and how we did what we did, whether it was the services we provided, the education that went along behind those services or, or a whole lot more. So um, to hear conversations now about let's just completely deregulate the industry as I'm hearing this stuff on Instagram, um, it makes me scratch my head. A few things before I get started. In my last podcast, I talked about quotes, uh, one of my favorite things and shared some of my very favorite one was from a statistician, a kind of industry management guy named Demings. And he said, without data, you are just another opinion. And as I've been reading through this talk about the regulation, I keep looking for the data. I hear these opinions and, and a lot of them are a little bit sensational, like everything's going to be better, you know, if we do certain things. And it reminds me of, of I don't know, so much that's happened in information in, in the last few years, um, much of it in the political world. Um, but in all parts of, of life, I think. And that is that um, scary information, hype, um, stuff that's way over the top, um, it's often being used as clickbait, um, something to help build followers, get attention, um, and then monetize. You know, And I'm not saying that's the case here. I, I don't really know what the motivation is, um, but um, potentially it could be something like that. I've always looked at the folks who are having these talks as, as you know, smart people, you know, um, and I'm looking at this going, hmm, something, something went a little bit sideways. Um, so, because I really feel like there's some misleading going on. Now, let me also say that regulation is like, who likes regulation, you know, in, in life generally? Um, and in the U.S. in particular, I think, you know, we have this kind of ideal, you know, of, of being free, quote unquote. And for many of us, that means not being overly regulated. And, you know, we see it all the time and, and we hear it all the time. Um, it's also interesting, though, because, you know, it's like, don't regulate me. Um, but then often some of us are like, but regulate others. And, and often, you know, when many of the bigger social issues come up around regulation, I, I'm always fascinated with so many in our industry who are pro the license, pro, pro regulation of the professional beauty industry will, will be anti-regulation in other parts of life. So, yeah, again, tricky area, inconsistent uh, for many of us and how we think about it. And, and I'm not always a fan of the license. I feel that it's imperfect. I, I certainly am not in favor of deregulation in any way, shape or form, having been around this industry and studied it, been in it, you know, um, learned so much about it and, and seen, you know, what, what can go right when we're all on the same page, moving in the right direction and what can go the other direction like from, from time to time. So again, imperfect. Um, I don't think we need to throw the baby out of the proverbial bathwater on the license itself. I think what we need to do is take more responsibility as an industry um, in the license. And I, I think one, we've always worked kind of had a protectionist attitude towards the license. You know, we want to make sure that it's there. 
Um, but we haven't done a very good job at all, in my opinion, um, in, in updating and modernizing, you know, all parts of the license. And, and I want to make clear that, again, the license came about because of salons and hairdressers. Um, and, and I think over time, we've, we've started to think that those rules are put in place by others. And, I, and so I, I would say you know, the industry needs to step up and keep the, the license as relevant as possible so that it, it doesn't suffer from unwarranted attacks. And I think you know, this one is very unwarranted after reading what I read. Again, I'm not going to call out these folks because I don't want to encourage followers, but there's been a number of posts and um, again, under this, this idea of, of uh, deregulation, I'm reading part of it now, it says, discover the top 10 advantages of cosmetology and licensing deregulation that are revolutionizing the industry. Um, so stop right there. Um, we aren't deregulated. There's very little of that that's happened in the industry. It's just tiny little pockets. There's no evidence that those pockets have created anything good, to be perfectly honest. And as someone who just wants good for the industry, hey, you know, if, if changes in the license would do that, if deregulation would do that, I'd be all for it. But as we think about turning our industry upside down with such a kind of a fundamental idea, you know, we need to really kind of dig into this and, and, and see if the theories that any of us would put forward, if, if they really make sense. And so there's a long list here. Um, they're claiming that it would increase entrepreneurship. So we are an industry filled with entrepreneurs. Um, I'm not sure we need more. I think if you do the math of the industry, if you listen to me regularly, you hear me talk about this, it's really easy on the back of a napkin to say that one of our bigger challenges is we actually have too many salons in this country. We have too many working hairdressers in this country. And whenever you have excess supply across different categories, it's, it's a challenge. It doesn't make it wrong or bad. You know, it's, it's the marketplace. And so it acts the way it acts. But we don't need more hairdressers to share in the pie, if you will, because the pie itself, the demand for hairdressing isn't going to change because more hairdressers come into the market. The demand is the demand and the demand has excess capacity in this moment in, in terms of where to make choices. It is not hard to go get a service done, generally speaking. Lower barriers to entry, that's a given. You don't have to license. Yes, there's lower barriers to entry. Is, is that a good thing? Um, uh, I don't think so. If it leads first and foremost, to a whole lot of workers in an industry that that's not our biggest challenge. Um, enhanced competition. Um, that's a misuse of the phrase, um, but I guess they're saying more competition, better competition, better competition from untrained people. And I think part of listening to them is that their idea is that if a lot of untrained people come in, that the best of the best will shine. I, I've never heard of such a weird strategy before. It's like, let's bring in incompetent people to serve the public that we serve, believing that the public will come to their senses and then go pay a lot more money to somebody who's highly competent. It's um, really convoluted, bad logic um, because we are in an extremely entrepreneurial space, all kinds of prices, all kinds of skill levels, all kinds of talent. They talk a lot about artistry, artistry at a certain level and, and not artistry at others. Not everybody who's providing services is, is at the artistic level and not all consumers are, and not most consumers are actually looking for that. Um, cost savings for all. Deregulation, you're gonna save $35 a year um, or $100 a year if you're in a, in a high price state. I mean, it's, it's um, to undo a process that I think we can show pretty easily has benefited the industry um, so that everybody can save 35 bucks. That just doesn't even make sense to me. Expanded job opportunities. So. We always talk about you know how many different jobs you can have in this industry, and um, 
most of the jobs, once you move out of the salon, they're limited in how many people can do those things. And so by flooding the market at the bottom, to believe that somehow is going to actually make your op- more job opportunities for the people who are already here, that doesn't make any sense either. Um, flexibility and innovation, no. Reduce bureaucracy, yes, absolutely. Um, and, but when you think about the bureaucracy of a license, unless you're moving from state to state, or unless you're getting a license for the first time, we're not talking about a whole lot of bureaucracy. And so, and I'm not saying that bureaucracy is good. I've long been challenged by the whole state by state issue, but that has nothing to do with the fact that we regulate per se. I mean, of course it's connected. The problem is that we, we have this patchwork of, of licensing rules and the institutions in the industry have not done a very good job in the last 20 or so years of making this an important conversation and a problem that is heightened in the minds of everybody to the point we, that we actually fix it, you know, and, and that's what's needed there. Um, efficient resource utilization is next on the list. Um, talking about time, there's a little clock here. I, I honestly don't really understand what that means because more people um, for a, a, a pretty much a set number of clients, everybody who's wanting to get their hair cut in this moment, in, in this very moment, I, I'm, I'm sure is doing it, can find someone to do it. There's more than enough talent out there. So again, if we have more places people can go, for a lot of people, that means they're, they're going to lose clientele. Um, they just are. Um, let, let's say that you have somebody you love to go see, but it's a little bit inconvenient, but you're still going there. And one of these new unregulated people open up very close to you. And let's say somebody told you they were good. Well, you might leave that, that well-run and you just lost an opportunity, a client, and, and now you have more time on your hands. So how is that an efficient use of uh, resources? And then fueling regional economic growth. Oh, and by the way, as somebody who loves ChatGPT, this reads like a ChatGPT uh, list, like somebody put in, what are the top 10 advantages of licensee regulation? In fact, now that I'm reading this out loud, I almost bet that's where this came from. Because when you do ChatGPT, I mean, it'll say things to you that don't really make sense in what the argument is. You have to kind of fix them, and it feels like maybe they weren't fixed. Um, so again, I think... Um, concerns me. And and the end of this particular post says, this is just the start of the list, you know, let these benefits shape a vibrant beauty industry where creativity thrives and stylists bring their unique flair to clients, say goodbye to unnecessary hurdles and flow to a world of limitless possibilities. The idea that the license is holding back the possibilities for the people who are in it right now, with the exception of getting that reciprocity, which is getting better, and there are solutions on their way, uh, called it uh, the a legislative compact, that's a different conversation, but, but that is improving. It has improved over the years. And again, I'm really frustrated by it. it affects a very small number of people you know, over the course of a year, given the fact that we have um, well over a million people who are licensed. And so, um, you know, again, I, I, I scratch my head. Um, creativity doesn't thrive because of the license. Like, what does that even mean? Um, stylists can't bring their unique flair to clients because of the license. Again, I, I, I really struggle to understand what that means. Now, there were some additional posts. You know, one is a, a license does not make, does not a hairdresser make. Unlike your earning potential, with deregulation, talented hairdressers can rise above the rest and command higher prices for their exceptional skills. Your expertise and creativity become your ticket to higher income, while others still have the opportunity to thrive with lower income consumer segments. It's a win-win for all. So again, I'm not sure which part of this doesn't exist already. And the idea, especially listening to these folks who I've heard say on many occasions, you can charge whatever you want. Very strongly have said, you know, pick a price, whatever price you want to charge, people will pay you for it. And that's kind of one of their theories. And so the idea that 
people can't do that now, it just doesn't make any sense. Because again, the license really is only doing one thing. It is having an impact on how many people are in the industry. Um, but it isn't, um, that relates to schools and schooling. Okay, so you have to have a license. So therefore you have to get an education because the license itself is not the issue. You have, to go to, you have to go to school. And so, okay, let's talk about that for a moment. You have to go to school. And then there's people who say, well, you know, school's very expensive. Well, it depends where you go. You know, I live in Chicago. It's a very big city. Um, every city is different, but we have a lot of cosmetology schools here and we have them of, of, of every kind. You know, we have really well-known ones with great reputations. We have really well-known ones in the city that maybe don't have great reputations and kind of everything in between. We also have public institutions and those public institution costs are tr significantly less um, than they're going to be at the private institutions. And some of the public schools I know across the country are some of the finest schools in the country. And again, you know, I can make give you examples of that in the private schools as well. You know, we kind of have the good, the bad, the ugly in every kind of, of uh, um, educational institution in America, but not just in our industry. And so, um, you know, all kinds of opportunities. But the idea that the regulations themselves, the requirement to have a license, um, keeps you know a whole lot of people from coming into the industry. You know, it's rare that I've run across a story of someone who absolutely didn't wasn't able to come in, into the industry if they really wanted to. Um, and there are still salons in different parts of the country where you can go apprentice, you know, and, and get paid while you actually are learning and skip over the license process through a school and get your license through apprenticeship. There's many ways to get in if this is what your passion is for. And so, again, I, I don't, you know, um, quite understand, you know, where this one's coming from. Catering to, to diverse needs, another bullet point here. Deregulation fosters a market where hairdressers can serve a broader range of clients, accommodating various income levels and preferences. What the heck does that even mean? What does a license have to do with who you serve? From high-end services to budget-friendly options, everyone benefits from increased choices leading to expanded revenue streams. What does that even mean? Because the regulation, again, is about people having licenses. Once you get licensed, you can do whatever you want. You can charge what you want. You can offer the services you want. You can cater to the customers you want. It just doesn't make any sense here. Uh, embrace our entrepreneurial spirit. Deregulation empowers hairdressers to unleash their entrepreneurial spirit. What about regulation stops you? As talented stylists explore new business models, niche services, and innovative strategies, they can create unique value propositions that attract, that attract clientele willing to pay a premium, boosting the profits even further. Again, what does that have to do with deregulation? The only thing really that you can see potentially happening in deregulation is a whole lot of people come in with not a lot of skill. Perhaps they'll learn over time. Some people will come in who do have a lot of skill. They, they grew up doing hair, perhaps. And some of the best hairdressers I know kind of came from that. So, but at the same time, it doesn't make any sense. Um, okay. Um, the path to financial success. Deregulating licensure sets the stage for a dynamic and thriving industry where talented hairdressers can thrive financially. They're not now? Question mark, question mark. And others can find their niche and flourish in serving a broader market. Deregulation is the catalyst for growth, prosperity, and shared success within the hairdressing community. Ay, 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 ay. Um, there's, there's just no logic here. Um, now, this is the one uh, that I'm probably going to end on because I could talk for this for a couple of hours and I probably should because I'm leaving out a lot. Um, so this is a quote from a post from the same folks or same person um, who's one of the folks. Quote, the same companies pushing licensure requirements for hairdressers are the same companies creating box color for consumers. Oh my God. Goodness gracious, where to begin? So I've been involved around the conversation of licensure for my entire career. 
I spent 10 years, you know, managing, directing the, the National Cosmetology Association. I worked in that space every single day. I was in the school market for many, many years in, in various positions, was, was close to all that because the industry was, was very different back then. We had all of these um, association affiliates and I participated in a lot of them. And so I've just been, you know, kind of close to this issue. And so in 40 years, I have never once ever, ever honestly thought that there were big companies pushing for licensure. Big companies were often asked to come to the table to support the hairdressers and salons effort to hold on to licensure or to adjust licensure. I've never been ever. And I've been in some meetings where we were planning was happening around these issues, whether it was fixing something, changing something, evolving something, or even doing something for the first time. And I've been involved in it in various parts of the industry. And with the exception of things that directly impact manufacturers like you know, the Food and Drug Administration um, and, and laws around product and sustainability and those things, I have never, ever seen a manufacturer in any way really even involved except to possibly get the word out if they were asked and to possibly provide some funding if they were asked because the license existed like 50 years before these brands even came to be. I mean, you know, the, you know, the, 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 the big movement in brands in the industry was in the 80s and 90s. Licensing's been around since the 1920s, and it really took its most current form in the 1970s. And yes, we've had these moments where it's, oh my gosh, they're going to change this, they're going to change that. And there's been, you know, companies that have stepped up. Sometimes a more recent example would be probably be through PBA, which is an association of manufacturers, of distributors, of salon owners, and of hairdressers. And again, I know most of the people in, in, within the PBA who would have an interest in licensing, licensing are, are, are most connected to salons and hairdressers. And yes, they would likely reach across the aisle, if you will, inside of, in, inside of the association and say, we, we need to get the manufacturers and the distributors to support us because... And the argument was always like, hey, manufacturers, help us because what helps us helps you. Um, but it it's, it's, has never been, you know, what's talked about here. And, and they're talking about, you know, I'll just read this. Let's uncover a shocking truth. The very companies pushing for hairdressing licensing legislation are the same ones promoting box color for unlicensed consumers. Oh, the box color conversation. Close to 80% of everyone in America who gets hair color, you know, gets it by way of box color. Um, and and um, at-home hair color was certainly a way bigger thing at home before it ever was in the salons. And younger people don't really understand the, the history of hair color and, and how when I first came into the industry in the late 70s, you know, and for many, many years afterwards, perms ruled. Perms ruled. Um, it was not hair color. You know, hair color took off way, way later. And, and you kind of saw perms die out and hair color kind of take its replacement. Um, people didn't want to get both processes. And that was kind of the beginning of the end of perms, although we see them coming back. So, you know, we live in a very diverse society, diverse economic needs. Um, I know so many successful salons in this country and, and, and they're successful um, because they're focused on what they're great at. They're focused on what they do. And they know um, that just like um, people cook their own food at home, go to a grocery store, buy stuff and, and make it um, um, their own. Um, and restaurants, I'm sure, you know, would love it if sometimes they, they don't do that and come to the restaurant. But there's no hue and cry from restaurants to, 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 to say to the people they buy their goods from, they buy their meat from, their vegetables from, wherever they're getting it, to say, to the, oh, oh, if you sell the customers to make their own food at home, then, you know, we're not going to do business with you. I mean, this is just such a, again, uh, 
a BS kind of thing here. Okay, this one. Gaslighting by artist gaslighting the artistry. Oh boy. By imposing lim- licensing legislation, these companies, these companies didn't impose anything. These licenses have been around for 56, close to 100, over 100 years now, over 100. By imposing licensing legislation, these companies undermine the inherent talent and creativity of hairdressers. Again, the license doesn't undermine talent or creativity of hairdressers. It doesn't. It keeps some people from coming in. So we can, if you want to isolate those people who have talent and who for some reason can't find their way in, that's a different conversation. But to say generally that the license is undermining talent and creativity, huh? All right, back to the quote. Then these manufacturers try to convince us that only their prepackaged products can deliver desirable results while devaluing the expertise and skill of licensed professionals who can truly transform hair with their artistic touch. I, all the people I know who are the, the, the greatest artists in the industry, and I'm talking about some of the truly greatest artists in the industry globally recognize that. And then a whole lot of other people who, who kind of live in this space, most of them are product junkies, junkies, like their kits are crazy. They're the way they study and understand products and use products. I remember talking to Tim Hartley years ago, a big Sassoon artist, and talked about in the early days how they were using like Elmer's glue. You know, like they, had, they had very little product. Robert Labetta talks about it and how this evolution of product like just exploded not only the industry in terms of what we could do, but exploded creativity. So that there's this weird idea that, that regulation somehow hurts creativity. It makes no sense. All right. Uh, I think I'll do this with my last one. Um, I haven't even read this one yet. Okay. So here we go. Bias in the industry. The bias becomes glaringly apparent when we see those companies advocating for licensing legislation that benefits their agenda while conveniently turning a blind eye to the widespread availability of off-the-shelf hair color products that they profit from. It's a clear case of prioritizing our corporate interests from the rights and livelihood of hairdressers. That's the most convoluted, weird argument. First of all, again, I don't see companies advocating for licensing legislation that benefits their agenda. Like they don't really have agendas except to support their customers and their customers are asking them to support efforts to keep the industry regulated. That's number one. And then conveniently turning a blind eye to the widespread availability. Some of these companies, they make this stuff, you know, and, and that's not a bad thing. There's a marketplace for it. You know, not everybody's going to come into the salon, just like not everybody's going to come into restaurants. I mean, I think what's one of the coolest things about the industry as a person who grew up in a home for my first 20 years, who did not go to salons, who did not go to barbershops, except a few times, my mom, my beautiful mom and her beautiful sister did each other's hair my entire life up through college time because we didn't have the money to go to a salon. Did that make them bad people? You know, did, did that deprive a salon of something? Was, was my family, who was barely getting by most of my life, supposed to give up other things to go to a salon um, and, or, or, or not be able to do the best they could to make themselves look good and, and feel better without the resources to go to a salon? Later in, my, in life, my mother became a salon regularly. My mother's 87 years old and has a hair appointment today with her colorist, a Redken colorist, by the way, who she adores. Um, and so, yeah, she became that. But there was a point in life where that wasn't possible for her. And when you look at the economics of America and you look at what the family, the average family in America makes today, you can see really clearly that 
that it's not for everybody. Um, and, but thankfully, over time, we've also had the evolution of the industry where there's all kinds of prices. But even at its lowest prices, lowest prices, we could go to the barbershop for not very much. My dad went to the barbershop regularly because he needed it for his job. Um, very, very cheap compared to the salon. But even as children, we didn't have enough to send us to the barbershop. You know, so again, I think you, know, you have to think about the economic realities, you know, of life. This is a long rant. I kind of apologize for it, but I, I want to be really real about this, and because I'm, I'm, um, I'm not happy about it. I hope not too many people see it. We've had such strong support for licensure. Again, I really believe we've got to adjust the licensure. There's so much work to do, but at the same time, um, the license itself, you know, creates great value for the industry. So uh, I have serious problems with all this stuff, you know, that is being passed around. And that uh, is getting people excited enough to perhaps follow people who I, I just think don't know what the heck they're talking about in, in this particular issue. So it is what it is. Don't mean to be disrespectful. I'm just like shocked in, in some of the things I'm reading. And again, maybe it's a lack of education. Yeah. All right. Sorry. was a little triggered. So I'm way out of time. Um, um, but I, I hope it gave you something to think about. I'm, I'm certainly not trying to tell people what to think, but I think adding context is so, so important. You know, go over to the PBA, uh, probeauty.org. They have a lot of information on licensing. They've got um, people on staff who'd be happy to talk to anybody about this and kind of give you some of what is going on and what their research shows that it means. Again, some of the very, very top artists in the industry, people who are adored by working hairdressers and salon owners every single day, have been really forward in their in their uh, support of licensure. And I would suggest that, that we all need to be that way. But yes, we all need to do our part in making the license a, a more fair, a, a more modern, um, and, and just a better process for all. Okay, so out of time. If you like what you heard, I encourage you to visit socialbeautymakers.com and sign up for my free newsletter for more content, as well as early access to the podcast. If you like the podcast, I'd appreciate a rating, a review, um, hit the subscribe button, or better yet, share it with a friend. Um, all of that helps others to find the podcast. Let me wrap up by saying once again, thank you so very much for tuning in. If you're still listening, thank you for hanging in there th through my little bit of a rant today. Apologies for that. I am Gordon Miller, and I cannot wait to share more again with you next time.